Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is episode 79, Gun Violence and Public Health in the United States. In this episode, I will not be directly discussing Medicare for All. Instead, I will discuss gun violence and why gun violence is a serious public health threat in the United States. In 2020, more than 45,000 people lost their lives to gun violence. And guns were the number one killer of children and teens. Let me repeat that. In 2020, more than 45,000 people lost their lives to gun violence. And guns were the number one killer of children and teens. That is a serious public health threat. There are several actions that need to be taken to reduce gun violence. But first, I want to make an important point. The problem is guns. Research has shown time and time again that more guns means more gun homicides. According to PBS, quote, the United States, with less than 5% of the world's population, has 46% of the world's civilian-owned guns, end quote. When you look at the civilian-owned guns per 100 people in the United States, the rate is 120.5, which means there are more guns than people in the U.S. The next highest peer country for gun ownership is Canada, with a rate of 34.7. So the U.S. gun ownership rate is about three and a half times greater than Canada's. When it comes to gun homicides per 1,000 people, we beat Canada by a factor of eight. The U.S. rate is 4.12, while Canada's rate is 0.5. And as the HuffPost reported, and to emphasize something I said earlier, quote, in a horrifying new statistic, Guns were found to be the leading cause of death of U.S. children and teens in 2020, for the first time surpassing car accidents, drug overdoses, and cancer, according to new research, end quote. So what can be done to reduce gun violence? Well, quite a bit, actually. We can start with state and national databases that record every gun sale and buyer. We need universal background checks with no exceptions. Under current law, some gun sales are exempt from background checks, such as firearms sold at gun shows. Like cars, gun owners should be required to have a license for each gun. In addition, you must show the gun license before you can purchase ammunition for that gun. A 20-hour course on gun safety and gun care and maintenance should be mandated. People should be required to pass a written and a practical test before they can own a gun. Guns can now be made with a 3D printer. These ghost guns, as they are called, are virtually impossible to trace. Requiring a license to buy ammunition would make it harder to use these guns. Of course, ghost guns should be outlawed. 
the number of guns that you can buy in a month needs to be restricted. Straw purchases need to be banned and assault weapons need to be banned. There's no reason why civilians need assault weapons. The assault weapon use in the horrific Uvalde school shooting, the AR-15, can fire 60 rounds per minute and can hold ammunition magazines with a capacity of 100 bullets that can be changed in five seconds. We need to limit magazine capacity to six bullets or less. There is something else we need to do when it comes to ammunition, and I have not seen this discussed. We need to restrict the velocity of bullets. High velocity bullets cause much greater damage because of their higher energy. I have provided a link in the podcast description to a video that explains how high velocity bullets cause much more damage. Obviously, gun ownership should be forbidden for convicted felons, people with a history of mental illness, and a history of domestic violence. We also need red flag laws so that if people who own guns are accused of domestic violence, the guns are taken away. If the charge proves invalid, the guns can be returned. We also need a 72-hour waiting period for guns. There are at least two reasons for this. First, if a person is angry and they decide they want to shoot people, there's a chance that they may cool off after waiting a few days. The second reason has to do with suicides. I mentioned earlier that there were more than 45,000 gun deaths in 2020. More than half of those deaths, 54%, are suicides. Guns are especially fatal when it comes to suicide. Suicides with a firearm are fatal 90% of the time, while overall acts of suicide are fatal 8.5% of the time. Adding a waiting period for guns has the potential to greatly reduce the fatality rates of suicides. And that brings up the issue of mental health. Whenever there is a mass shooting, some gun proponents will claim that we need better mental health treatment. That is certainly true. I have done two podcasts about how hard it can be to get mental health treatment and how health insurance companies work to deny care for treating mental health. That being said, I am enraged by the fact that some of our politicians only seem to care about mental health so that gun sales stay high. I want to address a second point. The Second Amendment of the Constitution does not provide an individual right to own guns. Yes, I know the Supreme Court ruled otherwise in District of Columbia v. Heller. That decision shot a large hole in the Constitution. And yes, that pun was intended. In 1991, former conservative Supreme Court Justice Warren Burger had this comment on the Second Amendment providing an individual right to own a gun. Quote, this has been the subject of one of the greatest pieces of fraud, I repeat the word fraud, on the American public by special interest groups that I have ever seen in my lifetime. End quote. At the time the Second Amendment was written, the U.S. did not have a standing army. The amendment was written so that the country could quickly raise a militia to defend itself. 
As linguist and Columbia University professor John McWhorter recently wrote, quote, a lawyer I'm not, but as a linguist, I have been especially appalled at the way various interpretations of the Second Amendment have been used to justify this inaction, particularly in the wake of the Supreme Court's 2008 holding in District of Columbia v. Heller, in which Justice Antonin Scalia said that bearing arms simply means carrying weapons, a contorted interpretation of the Founders' words. In its entirety, the Second Amendment reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Of the phrase, keep and bear arms, Scalia wrote that the court found no evidence that it bore a military meaning. But as the legal language scholar Neil Goldfarb explained, that the court's interpretation failed to reflect how bear and arms were actually used in the late 18th century, and that when the Constitution was written, a phrase akin to the right to bear arms was most likely understood as conveying its idiomatic military sense and, in particular, as meaning the right to serve in the militia not a mere description of someone taking a weapon in hand. This is how idioms work, including ones with the verb bear. To bear a child is not to literally carry it in one's arms. That the founders were referring to a kind of military service is also indicated quite explicitly in the very opening reference to a well-regulated militia. The keep and keep and bear would have referred to harboring the weapons at home as opposed to in an armory in order to use them within a militia, end quote. In one way, the debate over guns in Medicare for all are similar. In both cases, you have special interests that spread false information to keep profits by maintaining the status quo. And in both cases, the status quo is a public health threat that causes great harm, suffering, and death. I doubt that we will ever totally end gun deaths, but the actions I have mentioned in this episode can significantly reduce the death toll from guns. I don't claim this is a complete list. However, we need to take serious action to reduce the public health threat posed by gun violence, and my proposals are a start. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Remember to tell your family, friends, and colleagues about this podcast. Information about Medicare for All Explained can be found at our website, Medicare for all explained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.